0: You're listening to the Talk Story Radio Network.
1: Welcome to another edition of Swoops World, right here on the new Talk Story Radio Network. Swoops World, where you get all you need to know about arts, culture, news, and happiness. Our number, if you want to give us a call tonight, is 562-912-3444. You can always email us at swoopsworld at gmail.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Once again, if you want to give us a call, that number is 562-912-3444. Now just sit back and enjoy another edition of Swoop World on the new Talk Story Radio Network. Of Swiss World Late Night. It is Wednesday, December 2nd, 2015. Looking forward to a good show tonight where we have uh, our guest attorney Bob Fitzsimmons. And uh, I think you're going to enjoy uh, listening to him. Uh, he's on the forefront of uh, fighting for, uh, you know, NFL players and, and our military uh, persons who've uh, suffered uh, traumatic brain injury as a result of their occupations. Uh, we're going to t- have to talk to him. Uh, he's connected to the new movie coming out uh, with Will Smith called Concussion. And uh, got a lot to lot to chat with him about and uh, think you're going to find it very, very, very interesting. And after that, of course, our good friend A.D. Anthony Davis will be joining us and uh, he's got a lot to talk about too. The new hire of Clay Helton is the USC uh, head coach, and uh, so we're uh, we're looking forward to a big fun night tonight. We're gonna give, uh, we're gonna give Bob a call right now and, and get things rolling. Simmons law firm we'd like to welcome Bob Fitzsimmons to the show Bob's a prominent attorney specializing in serious injury cases and medical malpractice he's in the forefront in the fight to assure that service members and NFL players receive fair treatment and compensation for brain injuries suffered as a result of their occupations Bob welcome to the show uh, thank
0: you for uh, having me on, Swoop. I appreciate it.
1: Uh, I appreciate you coming on, man. Let's uh, let's give our listeners just a little bit of background on you. You know, uh, how would you? How long have you been involved in in the law practice? And how did you get involved in this aspect of practicing law?
0: Yeah, it's just uh, it's pretty much by coincidence. I think uh, I began practicing in 1978. Went to the University of Baltimore School of Law. I had attended Allegheny College before that, played football up there actually for four years, and um, my practice just over the years kind of took me into uh, personal injury, death cases, medical malpractice cases and that, and then uh, in approximately 19, I guess it would be 1997, I was contacted to represent Mike Webster, the uh, Hall of Famer from the Pittsburgh Steelers at that time.
1: Yeah, that was a that was a a, a groundbreaking case. Uh, I mean, that's that's the one um, where uh, ben, Dr. Beninamalu Amalu actually found uh, discovered the CTD, CTE uh, in, as a result of the autopsy, right?
0: Yeah, it is. It, it kind of goes back before that. The actual you know the story, if it's to be told from its beginning, kind of starts in in ninety seven. Uh, Mike Webster came to my office and uh, there. There's some good stories about he he actually had an appointment, and of course, the allegation ultimately was that he had some memory problems, and he had an appointment, I think it was like a Monday or Tuesday, he scheduled an appointment, he had been referred from uh, one of his doctors to come down and see us, looking for some disability relief with the uh, Burt Bell Pension Fund with the NFL, and uh, he, he didn't show on the Tuesday, he didn't show Wednesday either, there was no phone call or anything, and on Thursday, he just kind of popped into the office and actually thought that, had it all confused, he was coming down from Pittsburgh and living with his son. And he was all confused. Came in on a Thursday, which is when I met him at that time, and we filed the disability claim. And the NFL uh, back in May 8th of 2000. And by the way, it took about a year and a half to put all of his medical records together because. Mike couldn't remember what doctors he had been to, what hospitals he had been to, and we had to take one record and and get from that record other medical providers from that and then go out and try to get those records. So it took a long time to put it together. And under the pension fund, you had to have it filed by the age of 45. So we actually got it filed um, just shortly uh, uh, before Mike turned 45 at that time. in May 8th of 2000, after the NFL, um, they got their own doctor, a guy by the name of Westbrook, out of Cleveland Clinic, mm-hmm. and they had him examine it because we had submitted four individual doctor's reports, all of which said Mike had football-related uh, permanent brain injury as a result of his football activities with the Steelers, and then the last two years he played with the Kansas City Chiefs.
2: Right.
0: So, so that finding was actually made in May 8th of 2000, and the NFL, through their pension board, which has representatives on it from the players uh, union and also from the owners. And then there was a representative of the commissioner also that sat on it. They actually made the finding and agreed in, in 2000 that football related activities can cause permanent brain damage. And that finding was made. And then Mike passed away swoop in September of 2002. Wow. And that's when I met Dr. Amal Yu, um, who uh, came from Nigeria over to this country, did his residency training and practice up in Pittsburgh under Dr. Cyril Wecht. And Mike being in Pittsburgh at the time, uh, I remember actually when he died, I went up to the, to the hospital and was called by a son to go up there. And it was a very unexpected death. He died ultimately. The cause of death was a result of heart problems that he had been experiencing. But Dr. Amalyu called me here at the office about the same time here on the west co on the east coast here. We're at eleven o'clock right now and I got this call from Doctor Amalieu and he he has he does have a some sometimes a heavy Nigerian accent and uh it was hard to understand him at the time. I was wondering who in the heck is this call me asking me if they can uh, examine Mike Webster's brain. I really didn't didn't know what what he was trying to get at at the time.
2: Yeah.
1: The uh, look, you know, we hear the term CTEs, and, and my understanding that stands for chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Encephalopathy.
0: Encephalopathy. encephalopathy. Yes. What it takes it, a lot? It takes a lot to learn how to say that. One. <laughs> <laughs>
1: what is, break, break that down in layman's terms. What exactly does that mean? Yeah,
0: what what it is? CTE is uh, we believe from uh, caused by repetitive head trauma. And the brain sits in the skull and it sits in this fluid and it's not attached to either side. There's no anchors to it. right? So it actually moves. And uh, it's been well known in medical science for years and years and years that uh, if you have a, a force and energy, you're moving forward like in a car and you stop suddenly by a car crash. You, you crash into a car in front of you. Uh, the, the objects that are not anchored down are going to continue to move. And the same thing happens with the brain. And we've known as attorneys for years uh, that, you know, when that happens that you can cause a brain injury actually. And they called them closed head injuries. But for whatever reason, and and I don't know what it was, nobody really uh, seemed, at least in the 90s and 80s, nobody seemed to really question the stopping when two helmets hit together as to what happens to the brain. We've known about this type of injury in boxing for years. You know, they call it punch drunk. Right. Um, and we've known about that, and we've known about it in car accidents, and we've known about it in other types of accidents. But for whatever reason, nobody really felt that, uh, that this was a major problem with, uh, with football in particular or any type of contact sport. And I'm not sure why that was. It's, it's kind of common sense if you think about it right now. you got two guys running full speed and they hit heads together and, uh, and, and they have this injury to their brain later on. They have memory problems and deficits and stuff. It just makes sense that it would happen. But what we don't know is there's other, uh, like, like a woodpecker. A woodpecker hits its head against wood during the day I think it's like 40,000 times or, or even more than that. Yeah. But it has like its tongue that's wrapped around and they have some anchors actually for the brain. And that's why they believe it doesn't cause concussions and, and brain damage in something like a woodpecker. So there's, it's just the the human brain just doesn't have that anchor. And, and so we're very susceptible to those types of injuries that what happens, is it actually hits the opposite side. So if you stop and you run into the rear end of a car and your brain moves forward; it will also move backwards because it's in this fluid, and right. call it a contra coup injury, where it actually gets damaged on the opposite side of the brain from where the impact occurs. Well,
1: you know, I, I, I heard a, a <clears throat> an interview years and years ago, um, and I don't remember who it was, but the the statement that I do that stood with me was that um, interior lineman in the NFL. Uh, Basically, suffer the equivalent of a multiple car accidents, head-on collisions each game, um, and so you would think, uh, knowing that, that uh, of course this is the type of in- injuries that would, be, would would come from from just playing each each day.
0: Yeah, I remember that that quote, and I don't know who it's from either, but it it's it's one that people still continue to quote, and because it's a well-known phenomena that these guys are having like. And during a game, they may have, you know, 20 or 30 10-mile-per-hour, uh, 20-mile-per-hour collisions just like you would in a car.
2: Right.
0: And, uh, and, and that's, what, that's what strikes me that nobody really pushed it or, or, or questioned it and said, what's going on? Because the helmet really uh, just protects against fractures pretty much the way they're designed. Cars used to be like that also. They were just made of steel. If you remember back 30 years, 40 years ago, they were real heavy and they were steel. And uh, they changed the designs of cars and they, they made them a, a thinner material that actually absorbs the crush. Right. That's what they call it. we call it in, when we reconstruct an accident. And so the energy is absorbed into the material and it absorbs that crush and uh, it, it prevents it from being transferred to the body itself, or the brain in this case. But nobody's come up with a helmet that can, can actually um, uh, absorb that. I, I have a friend, his name's Matt Cheney, and, and he writes a lot on football, and he's, he's a great writer and stuff, and he's also a great researcher. And one of the interesting things, he, he's been sending me articles over the last several, well, years, but... Uh, There were a lot of articles back when football first became prevalent in this country. You know, the Ivy League schools, the Harvards and Cornells and uh, Brown and Dartmouth and all those schools were playing, and some of the other big schools like Michigan, too, were beginning football programs. But there was an awful lot of controversy and questions by the people that were uh, running the game at that time as to whether or not it was too violent, and in particular violent with the head. And if you remember, they had the old leather helmets and stuff. Some people were actually saying maybe we should go back to that because people, humans are pretty adaptive, and we we got those helmets and they're supposed to be a defensive mechanism. And I remember playing back in the 60s and the 70s, you know, they they taught you to use it as an offensive weapon. Actually, yeah,
1: about, exactly. Yeah.
0: So, so yeah, it's a serious problem. And uh, uh, but, but the good thing is, and, and with this what the movie, the concussion movie, and the book also. Uh, does it kind of brings it to the forefront and some of the research that's done that the research has been fascinating um after after dr Amalu um actually uh, took mike's brain he then stained it what they do is they take slices of the brain and they they slice it and then they put the stain on it and it's uh it's made to pick up certain types of proteins and, and other types of anatomical structures, depending on the stain. And he stained it with a stain that picked up what's called tau protein. Tau is spelled T-A-U. And uh, it's a protein that's uh, that occurs after the, the actual tissue or the cell breaks down and dies in the brain. And that's what we um, ultimately have used by autopsy. Then you find the tau, it leaves a certain um, triangular um uh, markers in the brain that you can see, and, and based on the location of the tau proteins and the existence of the tau proteins, they can then make a diagnosis that it's uh, CTE. Um, the other, one of the other uh, brain conditions that people talk about is Alzheimer's, and that's really the markers for that is a different type of protein that you use a different stain to pick up, or can use a different stain, and it's called amyloid proteins. But it's it's actually, from what we know so far, and there's so much, by the way, there's so much more that needs to be discovered and learned about this particular condition. Um, but uh, from what we know, we think it's progressive and it continues to grow worse over a period of time. Wow.
1: Now, I I, <clears throat> I know that you and uh, you've co-authored a number of, of papers uh, along with Dr. Amal, you um, and I read something, and actually I believe I saw a, a documentary on it called uh, League of Denial. Um, you went through this process, and if you could talk about it, um, has the NFL just not embraced uh, these studies? And are they really conti- – I know this year we've had a lot of changes with uh, concussion protocol and stuff like that. But this, this has been years in the making. Has, has it been a difficult uh, a road to travel uh, dealing with the NFL?
0: You, it, it has it, it, it's uh, and like I said its history starts in, in 97 when we filed the claim in 2000 at that point you know game over the NFL admits Mike Webster has football-related uh, brain injuries mm-hmm. and and that's what we're still trying to prove today but it you know in 2000 that's that's what was proven and then Dr. Amaryou uh, does the the autopsy and then he publishes his first paper which he published uh, with some other doctors from Pittsburgh. Uh, and made the and revealed the findings that he made in Mike Webster's brain, and that's what pretty much I think took it nationally, because now you had a medical journal and these doctors and uh, doctors like like Dr Amalu and Dr Bales who uh, I'll talk about in a second, but these guys are just brilliant and they're really dedicated to to advancing science not for their own personal benefit but but to help people. Like they're so sincere um, and this type of doctor, like like Dr. Amalia and, and Bales. But he published a paper in 2005, and what had happened was the NFL had established a, a brain injury or concussion-type commission where they had their doctors that they picked. And they had this guy named Pellman, Dr. Pellman who was a rheumatologist. And a rheumatologist takes care of joints and arthritis and that type of stuff, not brain injuries. Right. He was heading up the committee, and uh, they had... Requested that Dr. Amalia retract his paper and his findings because now it made its way. When things are in writing, everybody believes it's true, right? <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so, all right, I saw it in the paper; therefore, it's true, right? But, you know, it's just another reporter's opinion, and, and here is another author's opinion, also. But they went after Dr. Amalia and that's pretty what the pretty much what the movie's about. Um, that they believe that uh, their opinions whether whether they believe that in their heart or they were making it up i don't know but um and, and you have to watch the movie and you have to get up gather all the facts to render your own opinion but they went after dr amalu and dr bales really kind of came out and came to his rescue dr bales is a is a world-renowned neurosurgeon and came out and said you know i think you're right they met a few times they looked at the slides And sure enough, uh, you know, Dr. Bales was on board that, you know, this is a disease that's caused by these repetitive uh, concussions. And, by the way, I I want to point out, back in the 70s, when Mike Webster first started playing for the Steelers and all the other linemen, they had a technique at that time called a head slap Mm -hmm. where they would actually, the guy that was center and, you know, who's defenseless basically because he has one hand on the ball and he's down in a three-point stance at that point, so the other guy kind of gets the first crack at him and they had the heads, head slap where they would actually try to disorient the uh, the center and the lineman by, by these head slaps back at that time. And that in and of itself is, you know, some trauma to the brain and causes the brain to move. And if you're making somebody disoriented, that's a concussion. Right. You know, you know when you have an alteration of, of your mind at that point. So, so the game has changed since that time considerably, but at that time, there were a lot more of these repetitive uh, concussions and nobody really knows what the formula is. Is it one big severe concussion or is it three mini uh, concussions or, you know, and and, and what is the definition? So that that stuff always still up in the air a little bit and people argue over it, but it's, it's one of those things. If you see it, you know it, or if you feel it, you, you know, if you have a concussion because your, your mind has been altered, the state of your mind at that point. But Getting back to 2005 and what happened with the NFL, it was was a pretty interesting story because right around that period of time, um, remember, I I do the case after 2000. I stay in the legal uh, uh, system at that point, and I try to get the finding that Mike has permanent brain damage, which they make a finding in 1998, which is seven years after he had retired. Wow. And so I tried to get it and take it back to the time he retired because if I take it back seven years, he gets seven years more benefits where based on the history we had, you know, he was having significant problems and couldn't hold a job during that period of time and wasn't making money. People were helping him, and he was getting some handouts because he was this Hall of Fame uh, icon from uh, Pittsburgh. And, and by the way, Mike, Steeler, Mike, Mike Webster, who's a center in alignment, most of the time, the glory players are, are the Anthony Davises they get to score six touchdowns. He's coming on afterwards. They're, yeah. They get to do their dance in the end zone. The centers don't do that. You know, They're the guy that runs down 20, 20 yards behind the guy that scores the touchdown, and his name's not in the paper. at headlines, Davis, Davis, Davis. They don't get that. But in Pittsburgh, because of the nature of our town in Pittsburgh, we have a lot of steel mills. And I'm I'm in Wheeling, West Virginia, but I'm 60 miles from Pittsburgh, so that's the big city we go to when we want to go to a big city, and uh, that's this team that everybody down here roots for. You know, they were known as 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 the blue collar workers. They they were the guys that were in the steel mill, and Mike Webster epitomized that. You know, he was the hard worker. He never missed a game. He had over, I think it was 230 consecutive games that he wow. played without missing a play, and. They called him Iron Mike. Yeah, and uh, and and so he kind of epitomized that team. He ended up the captain of the Steelers for two of the Super Bowls, and uh, the, the players had elected him as their captain. He was a brilliant guy. Um, I got to talk to him. The, the movie, one of the things in the movie that I didn't like was they kind of had Mike portrayed as a raging lunatic. Dave Morse plays him in the movie and does a great job, but Mike was a really kind intelligent person but he had this memory problem from his brain injury and so he could talk to you for five or ten minutes and then he would lose his train of thought or he'd just start off on some bizarre uh, subject area he'd be talking about um, you know politics and the next thing you know he was talking about war A a lot of his discussions went into things that talked about war and fighting and strategies and stuff like that but he was a very intelligent person, really caring. We'd walk down the streets from this little town that that, that I'm in right now, and people would see him and they say Mike Webster, and he'd give them football cards for free. And then I said, Mike, you know, you're down and out. And you might want to you might want to have a card signing and sell those things. And he yeah. said, Bob, he said, I would never do that. He said the fans made this game and me, and I would never charge anybody for these cards. He said, that's what that's what makes the games these people and he would spend as much time as they wanted to spend talking to me. He he really was a wonderful person. He was a good guy. He really was. He had mental problems and issues. He really did. There's no question about that.
1: We're seeing, we're seeing a lot of, a lot of these issues pop up. You know, we, we, you know, you remember Junior say how, and, and, you know, you, you go name after name after name. um, and, and, we have the proof now, but then you start listening. Like I happened to listen to uh, Colin Cowherd today, and he had Shannon Sharp on, and they they talked about confession, And then Shannon says he's you know he you know he's he's looking forward to seeing the movie and stuff like that. But he says, well, in his opinion, in this day and age, it's like uh, it's like the cigarettes. He says, you know, they got the warning on the pack. We we all know. blah 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 blah. so it's it's to to him it's really not that big a deal he's you know we know that there's risk involved in the sport we love as an attorney and as somebody who's known somebody who's who's suffered through this and 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 i kind of get where he's coming from but you know you've seen the aftermath of of this and we're talking about there was an era where they didn't know i remember when i was a kid playing ball they didn't say concussion they said you get your bell rung and you know you get a little smelling salt get back out on the field um Guys coming up today. Uh, what are the risks involved? What, what 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 should the league be doing about this? And do they will they have some uh, recourse down the line after they retire if they're having some serious issues like Mike did?
0: Yeah, that, that, those are great questions, and and they're great questions for each individual and parent that allows his or her son or daughter to play contact sports. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just football, but. There's other, other activities. The military people are having significant problems also because of explosions and things like that where the percussion causes concussions. So we're seeing a lot of that in military individuals. But I think what we, what we all tried to do after this battle we had with the NFL, and and, that, and, and that's between 2005 and, and the actual 2009 congressional hearings. And by the way, the NFL just totally blasted, Dr. Amal, Dr. Bales and, and said, this stuff doesn't exist. And in 2009, our Congress persons, Maxine Waters was one of the people, just went after the NFL and just tied him down and said, Hey, this is crazy. You guys, you guys got a lose in battle. And, and she, they just went after Goodell. It was, it was hilarious. It really was. And i would I was so proud of them. They, they did their job. And that's kind of when the NFL kind of recognized it, you know, and, and, and If people aren't a scientist and, and good people, if they have different opinions, that helps make good science. It makes people dig in and prove things better and better. So having two sides to the argument, um, although we wish that they didn't, we, I understand that, and I think it's good. There's uh, one of the doctors that was with the NFL, Joe Maroon, who's a, who's a famous neurosurgeon and a great person and has, has done so much good for people he kind of got characterized in the movie kind of as a bad guy and he had a different opinion for a period of time. When I say different opinion, he, he didn't buy into the whole thing that Dr. Amalu had put out in the paper, but in 2000, you know, when he came down, he came down to Morgantown down to West Virginia university and met with a doctor, a pathologist from, from New York, by the name of Davies and Dr. Bales and myself, the five of us met. And at that time, they were on board that this is a problem and you know, but how how big of a problem is it and how do we solve it? So so really the thing that we all need to concentrate on, I think, is how do we take this problem? We we know it causes all kind of terrible problems, the worst of which is suicides. We've had, you know, the junior Seau and Derson and, and other suits, Justin Strilich and Terry Long from the Steelers. How do we make things safer, better? And how do we allow people to make informed decisions whether this is really what they want to do? Because you get a 17-, 18-year-old kid and, and swoop. I, I remember when, when Webster was sitting in my chair the first day, I thought to myself, he, his birthday is two days after mine. We are the exact same age, yeah. exact same age, right? We went to college the same time. He played at Wisconsin. I played at a little school called Allegheny College in Meeville, Pennsylvania, Division three school everyone my age and most guys that I know at some point in their life wanted to grow up to be one of these famous guys like a Mike Webster. Oh, absolutely. We, we would have given it. We would have sold the ranch.
2: Right? <laughs> sold
0: it all. It's all. It'd give it all. And I remember thinking to myself, here's somebody that that for a period of time, I, a person like this, I wanted to be. Yeah. And, and you wanted to be, you know, and AD wanted to be and, and partially was and, and really was. I mean, he did it. But I look at him and at that point, and would I have traded my life? Here's this guy begging me for help and asking for help at the time. Can you help me? I need some help. I can't get a job. I don't have any money. I'm down and out. There's this disability. I can't. At, at times I get lost. When I travel down Interstate 70, I get lost. I don't even know where I'm at. I can't even get home sometimes. Wow. And here it is that, that w- would we have traded you know, we a lot of people say today, and some of the, I listen to some of these football players say, "I wouldn't have traded a minute of it." Well, they aren't having those symptoms in that. When they start having those symptoms, or when somebody develops ALS and dies, like Fred McNeil, who died about three or four weeks, yeah, months, wow, ALS, and there's a connection, alleged connection between these, and it looks to be real. I don't know, science may need a little bit more proof for that, but it looks to be real for that. Uh, Would we do that again? If you've ever watched anybody suffer with ALS, nobody ever would elect to play football if they knew they were going to develop ALS. Right. And some of these problems these guys have, I I believe uh, that they wouldn't do it. You know, it's that old saying, you know, sell out to the devil. You know, I want to be famous. I want to be a trillionaire. And, you know, let me sell out and I'll go to hell afterwards. Let me tell you, when you're down in hell, you aren't, you aren't, you've made the wrong decision at that point and you would give everything you had and all back, you know, and, um, uh, it's just the way it is. But I think, I think the NFL has been responsive. I think that's one of the questions you asked. Yeah. They've been responsive. I think collegiate football, the NCAA is being responsive. Pop Warner, uh, Dr. Bales is actually uh, the director of Pop Warner. They're being responsive they put um, uh, return-to-play rules in. Every state, all 50 states, have now passed legislation. Um, and uh, the, the a young man from Washington is responsible for beginning that, him and his parents. Last that, uh they passed a, a, a legislation that if anybody even has a suspected concussion, they got to come out, and they cannot return to play until they have doctor certification that they're able to go back to play. That's a big, huge rule. They're changing kickoffs. They're changing punts. If you notice, they moved up the kickoffs, so most of them go through the end zone, and we don't have those violent collisions like kickoffs and and uh, punt store in the game and stuff like that, but they're looking at that. I think one of the things they need to do is they need to, to raise the linemen up and take them out of the three-point stance because when you do that, you automatically set the head, right. head-to-head with the other player, especially on goal line stands. I think you need to have maybe players that have to stand up. Um, and uh, they got to look at this helmet design to see if they can build some crush into it, you know, and, uh, and make it work. And, uh, and we've got to continue to work on the science part of it. You know, we do, Dr. Bales and Dr. Amalu, a doctor from New York by the name of Jen Hammers, uh, and myself, we're in a group called Brain Injury Research Institute. We're called BIRI, And, and uh, Mike Webster's son, Garrett Webster, is our administrator. And we've done over 40 brains in autopsy. When I say we, the pathologist have. <laughs> Once again, I'm just a lawyer. I get to watch this stuff sometimes if I'm lucky but and find out and help uh, just uh, from hanging around those guys. They're so smart, some of it's bound to wear off on me. <laughs> so I've had a little bit of it to do that. But... We've done that, and we got to continue to do that type of research. And there's other types of research. They're looking at genetic connections. Some people. Um... That
1: was the next question I had for you because you know we were talking about Gifford now, and he lived to be in his 80s, and we find out these other guys are, you know, have, have the same situation or died, you know, died in their 50s and and stuff like that. Is that partly genetics? Is it nutrition? Is it the yeah. amount of hits they had? I mean, do we know?
0: You know, science is a, is, a, is a little bit of a slow process. Everybody wants an answer, and, uh, and but it takes time and it takes additional studies before you can really feel comfortable in what you're doing. Um, and, and, by the way, we've had a uh, diagnosis. We did Chris Henry's brain from the Cincinnati Bengals. He, by the way, he's a mountaineer, played for West Virginia University, <laughs> I'm proud to say. And uh, he, he, he passed away, and we did his brain. And he Chris was in his, I think, late 20s. At the time, so so this develops, and they just had a kid from uh, another kid from college. There's been an actual college player that has been diagnosed. So you don't have to even wait around until age 50. It it happens fairly rapidly. It, it appears to to happen like that. But there's a gene, and, and when we talk about genes like breast cancer, there's a certain gene that if a woman has uh, this particular gene passed from her mother to her, there's a greater probability that they'll develop breast cancer. Yeah. So genetic studies like that are, are really helpful. There's, the, there's a gene called APOE4 that has been linked that to an increased risk for the development of CTE. I don't believe there are sufficient studies to conclude that that's true, but there seems to be some, some genetic relationship between that and the science is going to have to continue to, to do more autopsies and more studies before somebody can conclude, conclude, can conclude that. But if they do, here's the neat thing about that. We can go back and if you can do a genetic analysis and you have the, a gene, whether it's APOE4 or some other gene, ABC, whatever, we'll be able to tell with children and maybe try to direct them to non-contact sports as opposed to contact sports. Maybe you want to put a tennis racket in their hand rather than a football or a golf club rather than um, a hockey stick. Right. So, so those are good things. And there's also a lot of study being done on biomarkers where um, the heart, for example, and uh, everybody knows there's what's called heart enzymes. So if you have a heart attack, uh, uh, this heart enzyme is released into your bloodstream. And when you go to the emergency room, if they see that this particular heart enzyme is on an upswing, you know you're probably having a heart attack. So uh, there's biomarker analysis being done to try to link the biomarkers from the brain, uh, just like they do with heart damage in case the damage occurs. Uh, But the one thing that we haven't seen any real advancement with yet, proven scientific, um, is the actual treatment. Um, And that's what I think a lot of people are looking towards also, Okay, you get this. Can you stop the progression, or can you actually eliminate it and actually cure it? Right. And nobody really knows that. There's, uh, I know, I know Anthony AD has uh, great faith in Dr. Amon, who's a great doctor, and trying to do uh, some treatments in in AD, and, and many other players have found success with that. Uh, but it's certainly not a, an accepted modality yet in the sci- pure scientific field. I think Dr. Amon doing a great job, but. And, and so I give him all the applause that you can for trying to, to find that and seemingly working out but there's still no, no real treatment so there's a lot of study that needs to be done right. uh, We have a we have a, a company uh, it's called Talmark that uh, dr. O'Malley you and myself two guys two doctors from UCLA and uh, two agents two guys that do agents uh, NFL agents that, we have the license to a PET scan that uh, we've been studying, and we've done several of our papers on, on the results that have been very positive so far, but we're still in the FDA process, and the FDA process is a long process, and they require a lot of studies and proof in that, but hopefully uh, in the near future, and I say near future next year or two, three, uh, there'll be a study that will be available hopefully to, to diagnose in living people, CTE. right now you can diagnose it clinically but you can't pathologically right and say here it is here's this triangle of tau proteins you just can't do that yet so it's it's real exciting science and some of the stuff man there's some really smart people out there you know you read some of these things they're doing they have sensors and helmets right now and they have uh, monitors on the sidelines that uh, you know you take a test and within two or three minutes you can Determine uh, whether or not you've had a concussive concussive blow and whether or not you should sit out. So um, it's uh, it's real exciting science, and everybody's kind of jumped on it. Yeah. And 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 we we concentrate on these football players, you know, but there are so many more people in the population, including the military uh, population, that have these problems, and just kids riding down the street and fall off their bike and have a concussion. Right. But if if everybody doesn't know yet, I'm going to tell you. Concussions are a significant injury that need attention and proper treatment, and you withdraw from whatever activity you're doing at the time. One last... No other message you can give, that's the message that, 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 that has to be given. That is a,
1: an, an entirely uh, pertinent message, and, and I just one quick little, little question for you. You know, I watched a couple games a couple weekends ago, and uh, the quarterback from uh, o- 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 OU, the Sooners quarterback, uh, he took a, he took a shot to the head, and I'm watching on a TV 1500 miles away, and I could tell he has a concussion. The Rams quarterback um, was on the field; he couldn't get up. People tried to help him up. He went back to the ground. Obviously, he had a concussion. No concussion protocol done on either one of these guys at the time. They both stayed in the game for a period of time. Um, You know, we talk about, you know, the steps that are being made and and the guys on the sidelines and the doctors and and the equipment. There's still a huge amount of human error out there because a kid's going to tell you he's fine, he's going to continue to play. Um, How do you think the professionals miss that at that time?
0: Well, we're all human, okay, and – I hope it wasn't done intentionally with knowledge because that makes it a really bad thing. Somebody needs to get fired if that happened intentionally. But, um, right now I I don't know enough about it, but people do make errors and, and look, a concussion is not the easiest thing to diagnose in those two cases. And I, I know the one that you're talking about. I don't, I didn't know about Oklahoma, the kid at Oklahoma, but, um, you know, we do have these, and we're trying to teach people on the sidelines, and you can't have a neurosurgeon. You can't have Dr. Bales with you all day long, okay? Right. It's going to cost $8 million, you know, to have him walk around with you. He'll probably do that for you for the $8 million, but you can't have that happen. We can't babysit everybody. we got to be responsible adults. we got coaches. I tell you what, and some of the greatest people I've met in my life are coaches that I played for and caring people and uh, not only about your physical health and uh, but your mental health also and, uh, and and how you're developing as individuals coaches are, are a wonderful breed they can they can do some great things but uh, and trainers and that you know you got 40 50 guys on the sideline how did he get missed I don't know was he taking care of somebody else that had a concussion because on in most games somebody's going to get dinged yeah somebody's going to get dinged in that game. If, you're, if you've got two good football teams out there, somebody's going to get a head hit, and and you've got to be on top of it at that point. you got to pull the guy out, and it, it was missed. I don't know why it was missed. It may have been innocently done, and that's a shame if it was, and that means we need to educate better. Right. We need to have a, a better edu- education of these individuals, and more people need to get involved. One of the things that in the beginning of all this um, when a player got dinged, they wouldn't tell anybody. Mm-hmm. They, they just they wouldn't tell, and, and that's a responsibility that each one of those people have. And I think as more and more people come out and talk about concussions, and we see the terrible, terrible uh, harm that's caused by the, the most extreme damage, and that's a suicide, and it's not only to the individual but to the family and friends and everybody. It's just a, you know it's it's unnatural. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the more we hear about that and the more we see and the more significance we attribute to these concussions, I think the better the care. And, uh, and, and it's, it's still, you know, we still have some of these warrior guys out there that you, you, you play with pain, you know, and, uh, and you go back. You know, back in my days, they actually physically would put up fingers and, if you got it right, and you got fifty percent chance to it right, <laughs> one or two,
2: right? Oh, I remember
0: those days, man. <laughs> it went back in, and and a lot of people, a lot of people ask also, you know, why aren't more people um, today our age? And, and uh, Swoop, I don't. How old are you? Fifty six. Okay, all, all right. I'm sixty three, so I got seven years on you. But in our you're right. In our era, that's how they did it. And uh, you know, at fifty-six, at sixty, you know, I don't know if you have some your mental times you have, a, your memory's it getting on worse you and worse. Talk to is, man. It, is, <laughs> is it a question? Of, is it a question of age? Yeah. Or do you have some some type of CTE, and 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 is it is it going to cause issues and problems and stuff? And if so, you need we need to get to somebody for some help. You yeah. know. Absolutely. So. Uh, uh, that's the way it goes. I, I'm I'm good. I think. <laughs> I, think <laughs> I think mine's just old age. You know, Sixty-seven years on you, but it's it's really a good thing, and, yeah. and and that's how we need to look at it. We we don't need to criticize people anymore. And you know, if there are problems, we need to get out there and we need to teach. We need to do more research. We need to look for cures and treatments. And uh, it's a great game. Football. I, I love football. Still, I yeah. really do. I love football. Um, and I think it's a great sport, but it still needs some more changes and refinements. We need to make it as safe as we can make it. And, uh and, and we don't want to make it, I, I, somebody will yell at me for Kona, a goal sport, but
2: <laughs>
0: we don't want to make it soft, I right. think is, I guess, a, 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 a politically correct statement. We don't want to make it soft. We like the physicality of it, and that's part of the game, and we like that. And you can still have a lot of that. You know, you can still have guys and, and people are still going to get concussions. You can't get rid of them. It's going to happen. Just like you're going to have car accidents, it's going to happen. Right. You can put all the seat belts on all the people in the world and you're still going to have car accidents and you're going to have tragedies.
2: Yeah.
0: And it's just it's part of our life and our existence. And that's okay as long as we feel comfortable that we've done as much as we can to make it as safe as possible. And we've allowed people to make informed decisions I'm afraid that the kids that, that don't have um, affluent families mm-hmm. are looking for, you know, and you're looking for the, uh, the championship and the big name and all that, uh, those kids that come from areas of poverty uh, that are going to be drawn, that this is the way that they get their
2: right. riches, right. Uh, that,
0: that maybe that's not fair that we have all that class of people that are going to end up in this particular uh, arena and going to end up with this particular type of disease, whereas the people that are more affluent and maybe don't need or don't have to have that avenue in their life uh, would avoid it. Yeah. So I worry about that a little bit. I, I think it's unfair. That will be a very unfair thing and not a good thing to happen, but it, it may happen, you know.
1: Well, Bob, I, I really want to thank you for coming on the show today. And it's and so informative. And, and you know, what you're out there doing is, is, is really needed. And, you know, as I always say, you know, when you're doing things like that, you're fighting a good fight. And uh, I want to thank you for, for joining us today and sharing your knowledge uh, with our listeners, man.
0: It was a pleasure, and I appreciate you. Those are great questions you had, too. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. And that's the, uh, the Fitzsimmons firm in
0: uh, what city in West Virginia? Wheeling, West Virginia. Wheeling, by golly, West Virginia.
1: All right, Bob. Thank you so much, man. I look forward to talking to you again sometime soon. All right,
0: brother. Nice talking to you. You too. See you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: That's Bob Fitzsimmons, everybody, and uh, just this, an outstanding guy, and, and he's really, really doing some good work along with uh, Dr. Beninamalu and some other people, and you, you can hear more about that in the upcoming movie, uh, Concussion, starring Will Smith. So get a chance to check that out We're going to be getting Anthony Davis on the phone here in just a few minutes We're going to take a quick break And uh, we'll come back after that Let's see, uh, how about a little quick song While we uh, take care of a little business This is After Arrows, this is called Tigers
3: We're savages We're demons
0: Listening to the Talk Story Radio Network. Hey,
3: there's a sharp
4: mole on the wall, and you're listening to world.
1: Good evening. Hey, there he is. We'd like to welcome back to the show our good friend and colleague Anthony Davis. AD, I called the wrong number or something at first, but uh, we got you now, live and clear. That's great. Hey, how's it going, man? We just had a, we just had a, a, an attorney Bob Fitzsimmons. I know who, I know you know who he is on the show, and yeah. had a lot of good conversation with him about uh, CTEs and concussions and Doctor Ben Amalu and the upcoming movie with uh, Will Smith. And uh, you know, let's before we get into all of our other stuff, let's get your take on uh, on some of this. I know you you have the book out, uh, Kickoff right. Concussion: How the Notre Dame Killer uh, Recovered His Brain. And I right. know this is near and dear to you, man. Tell us a little bit about uh your dealings with uh the, the movie and uh with the thing the good things that uh Bob uh, has taken care of over the years.
4: Well first of all, I think the movie's gonna make a, a major impact uh uh on the society period. Whoever goes and it, they're gonna get an insight of really what goes on with concussion. Yeah. I know the NFL is sort of Anti the movie coming out, but it is what it is. I mean, it, it talks about different stories. Mike Webster. Uh, it talks about how Doctor Omalo uh, got installed in this film and, and and all this research and stuff because he's from Nigeria. He didn't know anything about American football. He know he was he's was doing an autopsy on Mike Webster, and he found this image, and he found CTE. So uh, the movie demonstrates that, uh, and based on the movie, it's going to wake up a lot of people. Right. And I think it's going to wake up a lot of mothers and kids with youth football, knowing the fact that what it can do. I mean, there's a lot of advocates out there that really want uh, all levels to do something about it, but you really can't. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, it's a it's a very violent sport. It's a great sport, but it's a violent sport. And uh, when you're dealing with a sport like that, uh, you've got to know the consequences. Right. The, con- the consequences are, when you play the game, it's high collision, and you will have some damage. And just be aware of that. But anyone who puts a helmet on the head is trauma. And this movie is going to demonstrate that, period, and how it affects from player to player. And then, you know, within the movie, you have uh, Mike Webster, we have Dave Durison, Ante Waters, and then also they mentioned the fact about Julia Seau. at right. the film in a film. So uh, uh, I'm sure Bob gave you a lot of insight on his own experience, regardless of the film. But I know he is an authority. You know, he, he's an authority. He knows Dr. Bennett pretty well. And they've conversed and, 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 and exchanged information between the two.
1: The, uh, your book, um, you know, in your story, uh, and I know that's available on, on Lulu and, and Amazon, and you can click on the front page of Swoops World and it'll take you to an opportunity to purchase it also. Um, tell everybody a little bit about your story, how that came about, and, and uh, how you met Dr. Amen.
4: Well, what happened to me was uh, I heard about Dr. Amen through a guy by the name of Don Buckles. Who you see was a pharma, He was a pharmacy major at USC, and he, who, he was a camera enthusiast. He loved taking pictures of me while I was at USC and some other great ball players at USC. And he was telling me the story, and he always used to be a pharmacist at C.J. Uh, and uh, he was asking me one day, he says, have you ever had your brain scan? I said, no, I think you need to do that. And I said, hey, nothing's wrong with me. I'm sharp. This isn't too old. Two oh seven, early two two thousand seven, and I had a, a, a few episodes. You know, I leave the house. Did uh, I lock the door? I'd walk back, check it. And one day, I got in the car, I went about a mile, turned around, and came back. Did uh, I lock the door?
2: <coughs>
4: <laughs> then you know, you know, down the road. I sort of blanked out on the freeway. I said, that's it. I need to talk. But I called Don, and I asked him if he could set something up with me to go see uh Dr. Amen. And that's how it happened. And then uh made, a, made an arrangement to see him. And, uh of course, he scanned my brain and found another spot on my head. Oh, he knew I had two concussions, but he said, you've had three. So, I mean, if I had three, I've, always, I've had many, many concussions, small ones, but they all add up. Right. so what I've learned over the years I know that every time you get hit it should the brain shape so I'm sure I had a lot more than with the ones who got diagnosed it didn't show up but at the end you know over over many hits what happens is uh you know it builds up and it builds up and then down the road years later you see the, the effects of it so that's how I found out that I have issues. And then also my diagnosis from Dr. Amon that I had to break up an 85-year-old man. Wow.
2: Wow. And, uh,
4: and then I've been on his supplement program ever since. And I take it religiously.
1: Let's switch gears a little bit here, man. Uh, there are a lot of things that happened this week in in, uh, in uh, collegiate football and in the NFL. But I, I want to start with something I saw today. Uh, <clears throat> I was on the... Uh, pac-10 uh, pac-12 networks uh web and uh they released their pac-12 networks unveils pac-12 football all century team and I, i'm scrolling down here man and i don't see your name on here so i decided i'd go to the uh to the record books on the on this uh pac-12 network thing and uh while they have records that go back many many years when it comes to uh, kick returns and punt returns, the furthest they go back is 2000, and I believe uh, you you hold. I know you hold the NCAA record for average yards uh, return per kickoff, and and I think you uh, were tied for the lead at one point, or may still be, with six to, six TDs for kickoff, but. Uh, for some reason, the the Pac-12 network doesn't go back that far when it comes to the the kicking returns and punt returns.
4: So you're telling me, based on that, they don't go. They just go back to year 2000
1: for for, the- for for kick and punt returns. Now they go back deeper. For I mean, they go back to you know you know uh, your years as far as. Uh, Line of scrimmage stuff. Uh, you know, they list uh, you know guys back like Garrett and uh, OJ and stuff like that. But for, uh, for 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 some reason, for kickoffs, punts, kickoff returns, and punt returns, and some other some other uh, records, they only go back to two thousand.
4: Well, then you know that's flawed because I mean, it, you know, I mean, I mean, all due respect to Reggie Bush who I don't know who who's voting. I mean, probably coaches, uh, players, or uh, for media i don't know what i don't know what they're smoking but but the, but the bottom line is uh, you can't just go back to 2000. if you can go back to Garrett you don't go you' just don't go back to 2000 i'm mean, not I i'm just going to say can anybody listen to me then all think it's pompous and whatever anybody that played against me collegiate and professional, knew what i did is a, a kick return okay and uh i hold a whole category nc2 kick returns a whole category Average per season, average per career kickoff returns, and I actually had I actually had the longest run of anybody in USC history, 106 yards against Arkansas in 1974, and uh, and had six kick returns, if you, as you know. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know how you're going to do that in all respects. Because Nate, they I understand they have Reggie Bush as a kick return. Reggie Bush, and a
1: on, he's the only person with two. Uh... Uh, two positions. They uh, got him for uh, for tailback as well as, what does it say? I'm going to read it exactly. Trojans, blah, 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 Bush is the only player to make the cut at two positions. In addition to be the fourth highest vote-getter as a running back, he was a top returner selected.
4: Well, you know, and I know you listeners out there know, that's flawed. all due respect, I'm going to step up and defend myself. Uh, I'm going to say that I don't know where they're getting their information. You you can't go back to just 2000. If you don't include my teams, what I did, run up to the highs, and all those issues in terms of longest run, per average for season, per average for career, that's flawed. (laughs) (laughs) You can say whatever you want. You voters, I don't know where you're getting your information from. And, yeah, I said it, and, uh, uh, and remember, I played in the greatest time in that school's history. I'm a five-time national champ. I'm All-American in both sports, okay, and I haven't seen anything yet. And I'm waiting for the day for somebody to bring a kick out 106 yards back, 102 yards, okay. I haven't seen that yet collegially, consistently. So we were, we were one of the most feared kick-return kick teams in history, if not in history. So I don't, you know, I, I'm not giving my total credit total for me, but my whole total kickoff return, I just happen to be carrying the ball. Yeah. So you voters and, and you care your committees, you can say whatever you want. The people out there know who did what historically.
1: Your coach is the coach is your coach is the coach of the
4: century. Well, excuse me. Uh,
1: John McKay was the coach of the century. They elected him. He was the coach of the century uh, on this list.
4: Um, well, he of course he was a four, He 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 won four national titles. Yeah. Nobody did that in Pac-12 history. Wow. He won four. He, he won four national titles. I was on two of them. So, so, I mean, I don't know how they, de- I don't know how they deal with it. dabbing. I know I've had, I've had a few, I've had a few calls on that today, which everybody called me it was very negative. It's what, is, what are these people smoking? And I said, well, I don't have a clue it you I, I, I haven't followed it. I've been told what happened today. That is it. I don't know. And then and I reacted. I said, well, that's thing. Well, I sort of reacted and thought about it and I thought about it after people were telling me, because they were angry about whoever picked this thing, I said, well, let's simply tell them I said it's flawed. You can say whatever you want. You might disagree with me, and I I don't know. I'm not can see that And then not only that, uh, based on what they did to Reggie, they stripped him of everything anyway. So how are you going to vote for him if you stripped him? If you stripped him of the Heisman, you stripped him of the record, you stripped him of the National Championship, and everything he did, so how can he be voted the kick returner and the running back on that on the Century team of all time? And even and even and even if you kept the numbers there, and if he didn't have the problem he did he still surpassed my numbers?
2: Yeah,
1: oh, that's interesting. i to have to read this whole article. I'm surprised that they have uh, as far as quarterbacks go. Uh, Mariota comes in second behind Elway and ahead of Plunkett and ahead of Luck and ahead of Liner. Um, I guess he had a better. Yeah, he probably had a better. Well, Liner. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, I don't really see him as ahead of Plunkett for sure. And uh, I'm not even sure he's ahead of Luck, actually. But
4: uh, it's interesting. Well, that's a matter of a choice. I just don't think. I mean. I think it, 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 it's, a, it, it's a wishy-washy thing because if you got Liner in there, see, Liner was on the Bush team too. So they stripped them, they stripped them of those titles and stripped them of those records on that, that given year. You see, so okay, I don't get how they can do that. I mean, remember, the system did that. Much. You got Bush and Liner.
1: Yeah, this is. A, I guess I, it's. I guess it's just. A, you know, this is just Pac-12 voting, and uh, I don't know who. Uh, I don't know who. Uh... It's Pac-12 Network uh, decided. This is this is Pac-12. Well is a TV network that that put this together.
2: So well,
4: they might they might have been smoking something. I, mean, <laughs> you know, I don't I don't I don't I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand you know how they come up with the, the criteria and the data of voting like that. Yeah, you know, you just I mean, look at the record books. Look at look at the Pac-8, Pac-10, Pac-12 records. Well, all the records I hold. <laughs> It's interesting, Look at the national records. All the records I hold.
2: Yeah.
4: So I, how, how do you how, how are you doing that? So I mean, I can see the highs and stuff, in that they they encounter all that because you know Garrett highs and OJ and highs and Marcus Allen Charles White, highs and all that kind of stuff. If you want to quite based on the criteria, bet okay, fine. But in terms of overall, overall, all-purpose player. No one's done that at USC. As a matter of fact, uh, I haven't seen I haven't seen the country anybody do that in the country. So I mean, and I don't usually step out and talk this way, but you know I'm a little not disturbed, but I'm a little confused about what, what's the voting criteria. Yeah. Okay, uh, you know, Eisen, I mean, I'm all American. They're all American. But the bottom line is, if you look at the record book, it speaks for itself
1: you look at the the, the the running back selections were all SC and they were all Heisman. Uh, did, did Charles White? Did Charles White win Heisman?
4: He won the Heisman. Okay, league. they're all Heisman.
1: It's Marcus, OJ, yeah. Charles, Reggie, and Mike Garrett. So um, that's who they have listed as a, the All pack 12 running backs. Um,
4: I can understand. I, I can understand the running back situation. Okay. Remember, I was I was third on. I was third all time. I'm still the third. Uh, according to people talking this. I don't really keep up a lot of that stuff now. I'm 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 number three on all time rushing this in UFC's history. So uh but all purpose for that year for those for combination of all purpose yardage what I in, in terms of kick return uh no one's come close to that. Yeah. And I always thought somebody would do it. Hell I'm sixty three is the only one's done it yet. The only guy, the only guy that I've seen doing all purpose stuff back when, based on what I used to do, is the guy McCaffrey Stanford. Oh, That's what yeah, I'm the, the,
1: current, the current guy, uh, Ed, Ed's kid,
4: right? Ed McCaffrey's kid. Yeah. He's all, he did exactly what I mean. ran the ball, off the ball, brought back in. I did that at USC, period. No one, no one, you know one in USC says she's done that. I was a backup, I was a, kick, I was a, I was a backup kicker, field goal kicker, extra point kicker. I was a kickoff man my sophomore year. I caught passes, I brought back kicks and ran some sprinters. So I don't understand how just just from a special team standpoint, with my team teammates, it hasn't been a kick return team. In history, do what we did from '72 to '74. So I don't get what the Pac-12 is thinking about.
2: <laughs>
1: well, I think that's the that's the yeah that's a, that's the network. I don't know how, what what, what how much uh, clout they hold as far as uh, the actual division, or if the division owns the network. I don't know, but uh, it was just uh, something I came up on today, and I, I thought I'd ask you about it. Let's uh, right. Let's uh let's talk about uh, the new hire, man. Uh, you know, we talk you talk about your teammates, uh, your teammates AD over there. And uh he uh, he signed uh he signed Clay Helton to full time as as the next the next head coach. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about this last week and that I didn't think it was going to happen because uh the way he did Ogeron. But uh you know, you, you think about uh, why he not that Helton didn't deserve it. I think the guys done a great job. But when you think about why he did it, you know, people. a lot of people were upset that he didn't go after a big name. Uh, I think the guy, anybody who comes steps in, needs to give a fair shot if they do a decent job. But I also think that as long as Pat Hayden's there, he's limited on his choices. I don't think any big name is going to come to uh, his program, uh, especially uh, something you mentioned to me, the number of people he uh, he's fired over the last few years.
4: The thing is, I mean, that's a tough situation he's in now. I mean, you had, you know, you – you know, in his tenure, he's had three coaches, Kiffin, Ozron and now Sarkisian. I just been, I just basically think that uh, – this is me thinking from afar. I just don't think that he wanted to have four coaches in his tenure in five years. Right. And I, and I think what he was doing basically was trying to preserve the recruiting. I think he was trying to do it for the kids because some of these kids have had – you know, three coaches and all the times there. You, you can't you can't keep the continuity together when you have academic coaches because you got systems, the you know, the system, you know, so other coaches feel certain players can do certain things. Some kids can get lost in the shuffle. You know, that you know, that affects your recruiting and you know, and stuff like that. I mean you know, at the end of the day the kids pay for it. So I think they have that in mind. And then you can bring a so called High-profile coach, but you know, even with a high-profile coach, it takes time to turn things around. You know, you just don't turn things. You don't turn a ship around when 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 it's, when it's shaky, and stuff. you got to make sure the foundation of your program is set. Your kids in line, and that affects. So I think that's what they were trying to do and are trying to do. Right. And the kids like Hilton. He like they like Clay. So I mean. Uh, uh, I encourage him to do the best he can. I mean, that could be a difficult position to be in, stepping in with, uh, uh, you know, you know, that's not his higher coaches. He's stuck with a staff. What if, what if he does? If he makes any changes in terms of the staff next year, we, we'll see. But the bottom line is a difficult situation for him. I just wish him the best. You know, everybody tends to like him. He's a great person, for I understand, and. uh and, that, and 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 it's going to it's going to be a tough road. I believe if he if he can beat Stanford, win the Rose Bowl or wherever bowl they're going to, I think he, he he's turned that ship a little bit. And then the, the people open up, wow, this man really deserves a job. We have to wait and see. If it's- he loses the next two, he could be in, you know. But then they'll say, well, let see, let's see what he does next year. Right. But overall, it just to preserve the program. We did it for the uh, the players there.
1: It's interesting. Uh, months ago, uh, we had a discussion, and uh, SC had dropped us. You know, it started off hot, and he dropped several games. and And you looked at the things, and you looked at you looked at the the scheduling and whatnot, and you said that the way things are, they could e- easily still end up playing and went in the Pac-12 championship, but you also said you could see a situation where there's no Pac-12 team playing for the national title. And I think you called it 100%. They are playing for the Pac-12 championship this week against Stanford, and there is absolutely no way that there's going to be a Pac-12 team playing for the national championship.
4: ain't going to happen. not going to happen. And that's, and that's where the system's flawed in my opinion. You see, you got a Pac-12 team that's not in the playoffs, but the talent they have in the conference. And then you know, you and, and, and number one. And the other thing is, you don't even have a Big Ten team in the playoffs. You have Clemson, ACC. You got Alabama, SEC. You got Oklahoma, Big Twelve, right? Right. You have Iowa, Big Ten. So you don't have the marquee names other than Alabama. Playoffs. So, so as you know, now if something drastically happens this weekend, maybe that can change and shift. But the bottom line is, uh, I believe the marketers and the advertisers out there would like to see a more rosier and a more sexual looking group of final four. That's the reason why you need a full fledged playoff because then you will get that if you have a full fledged playoff. You see, so we've called it, I called it, you can see it. And see, so you got you, you got a you you good conference with parity, which made it exciting because you didn't know who was going to win from week to week. And I' not in the playoff system.
2: All
4: right. You know, like I say, any given Saturday, anybody can beat you. That's what the exciting thing about the human element, going against each other. On any given given Saturday, but now when it comes down to four teams, it's going to be competing unless unless these championship games, if we can change that, and that's could that change the face too.
1: Stanford is the closest in, uh, in the Pac-12 at number seven. yeah, uh, right. got, got Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma, Iowa, top four. Got okay, Michigan mm-hmm. State; they probably have a chance to slip in there. Somebody messes up, bad Ohio State's six, but Stanford's number seven, and I think it takes a whole lot of messing up to get down to number seven.
4: So I don't know. Ohio State's at six. They might jump somebody if somebody loses. But if everybody wins in those top four, those those, those those four teams, it's going to stay the same. Right. they will stay the same. Regardless if they're tight games, they're going to stay the same. I don't think they're going to be jumping people now if, if it was a four-point game. Win or one point win or buy a touchdown, they're going to stick. They're going to keep it the way it is. It's not going to be like it's going to be mid season. They're going to go with the final four. If they win, if those four teams win out, it's going to stay that way. And if, and if, if the committee wants to jump some team in somewhere to, to make it marketable, then we'll see that too. But I, I don't think so. if they do that, that's going to be that's not fair either. You see, it's not an equitable thing with everybody. Somebody's going to lose out, and 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 that's it. You're going to be unfairly treated. The fact, but I don't. Go ahead. Go ahead.
1: No, and I was going to say the fact that, as you said, that you know, it's not a full fledged playoffs where you know you win a conference. You know, you 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 know you, you get seated and you. And you play an you know, another champion for another conference, and you get down to, you know, to the brackets, and then finally you have a, a national champion, is uh, is ridiculous, especially with the w- the way these things pan out. And you look at the numbers of these guys, you know, they got in the top twenty five, we got a couple teams, we got a team that's eight and four, we got a couple teams that are eight and three, nine and three, uh, right. You know, a few undefeated teams, and in the top four, you got two teams that are undefeated, two teams that lost one game. You know, right. It, it's so. You take your conference champions, you can eliminate a lot of this speculation.
4: Yeah you do that that's that's right like you can see up all the conferences see them up do the best you seed those guys like said, use the bowl, go through the bowl system what comes out of that. let these second place teams go to these other bowls so the universities make money and they can benefit some way. But the bottom line is that's what you have to do. And I believe that's going to I believe down the road they're going to going to realize. Right. It's, that's what they're gonna have to do. Period. Yeah. And this, this, this four teams, it's not gonna work. And you know, I know every coach in, in the country's being politically correct and and the advertising who's in and all that kind of stuff. Well, who's out?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
4: so, 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 so I mean, I believe what they're gonna do—they're gonna revamp, revamp the system again, and they just—they make it full fledged. Not six, not eight a full fledged playoff system. And you can do it easily. Start it right after the season. You can do it just the conference championships, go into that and you start playing, you know, you you do that then. You and you play it all through December. And go through January, then by mid by the end of Jan by mid January it gets over. You got a champion.
2: Right.
4: It can happen. It can happen. Just, you know, and you got all that you got all that easy, that that lag time in between a bowl game, you know. Uh, but, you know, three, two or three weeks, you we can have to start the playoffs right away. That's making what deep down what these coaches want. They, you know, they won't say, well, I don't like the system, blah, 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 but they're not going to say that. Everybody's being politically correct. the to be correct.
2: Right.
4: Well, I'm not politically correct. I'm like Donald Trump. That's <laughs> the way it is. That's what everybody wants to, that's what everyone wants to hear anyway. I mean, just tell the truth. Right. That's what they really want.
1: The uh, you know, you know, real quick before we get off of this, I mean, uh, Alabama's sitting at number two. I I I, I kind of think, uh, personally, I think Oklahoma's a better team than Alabama, but uh, you know, every, it's, it's it's all subjective. You know, everything's subjective. Iowa, you know, Iowa number four. I think Michigan State's a, is, is, Michigan State has won a lot of games in the last minute. The last. Play of the game and stuff like that, but they they continued to win. They didn't. They never. Uh, I think they lost one game all season. Um, you know, they're, it's all subjective. Uh, I know they talk about strength of conference and strength of schedule and all that kind of stuff, but you know, I don't. I don't really know that. Uh, I think we're still going to leave. We're going to leave Phillip empty at the end of the season, regardless who ends up as a national champion. We we love the sport. We love the games. We're going to watch them, but I think. You know, i think you still feel empty at the end of the season because there's really no clear there's really no clear winner
4: i don't think so i mean it, it's just look, look anybody in that top 10 group can win the national title any, of, any anybody in the top 10 on any given day can win it and and uh and, and this is my voice i've been saying this the for, for whole year i've been saying it period. and nobody and nobody sounds like i you know, i mean only one person i've heard back publicly said they need a full has been Shaquille O'Neal. He's a basketballer and he gets it. Yeah. I mean, I get it and everybody else gets it. They still want to say it. I don't know what it is. I don't know why ESPN doesn't say it. I don't know why CBS or NBC or ABC don't say it. Come on. You know, these coaches want a full-fledged playoff. You got some guys that are playing college, coaching, coaching, college, coaching, who in the pros. They like the playoff system. Absolutely. They like the eat an They like to compete on that given day. Okay, is my guy better than you today? Let's find out. That's what it's about. You don't want to have some guy sitting around drinking coffee, eating donuts, deciding who's going. You know who's going to be the final four? Of them. Like, come on. <laughs>
2: what
4: are you going to do? You're playing, you know what are you going to do? You know you. You know I mean, you, you don't even do a video game like that. We. Uh,
1: um, what are your. What's your. What, what, what's your prediction for this week with uh, SC and uh, Stanford? You've seen them both play. Uh, Stanford. There's no quitting their game. I got to give them credit. There's a couple times I thought they were going to definitely lose, and they and they either hung in there or came back to win. Uh, SC showed showed some signs of life the last few few weeks. Uh, what are your What are your thoughts?
4: You know something. You know something, Keith. I, I uh, with the Pac-12 the whole year. That's anybody's game. That's a toss up game to me. I mean, you know, Stanford is showing today, they, 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 good ball control. They have a bounce attack, running pass. They got a great, uh, all around player in McCaffrey. I mean, running the ball from scrimmage, special teams catching the ball at the backfield. You know, something, and, and, and then overall, SC has a better athlete, definitely on paper. It's just that how they're formulated together against each other. I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Yeah. Who, the, who the favorite going to be in that in that game? Because of the 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 wackiness in the Pac twelve, the competitiveness and the and the parity in the in the conference. So uh, I don't know. I really don't know. What? I think it's a game. I think it can go either way. I think whoever controls the clock and dominates on defense wins the game.
1: Yeah. You and, and I, I think. you and I talked uh, recently, and 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 we talked about that, and. Uh, one of the things uh, we see is when a, when a team has a decent run game, it keeps the defense out on the field a long time. Absolutely. And, and if they, if you if you give up the ball up if your offense comes up and gives the ball up three and out, it only takes a couple series before the other team starts to run away with it because they just wear the te- defense down. Uh, these both team both teams have the ability to control the ball on offense.
4: Um, do you yeah, see do. do you see yeah. an
1: advantage for either one?
4: First of all, it's just, it just, it just with them two teams, they've already faced each other, it's mistakes. You know, the turnovers. I mean, you, if you're giving the ball away, you, you're doomed. And uh, if you play follows off, you're doomed. You know, if you, if you sustain a drive on one team and you, and you, and you, and you get the edge on them you know, from a, uh, an endurance standpoint in the course of the game, late in the season, you're doomed. Yeah. So you got to go air-free got to stay focused and your game plan has to be tight your play calling has to be tight and you got to counter what that your opponent does if you don't do that you're gonna get beat but so whether or not stanford does that or sc does it i don't know because the pack 12 this year has been up and down and when you're supposed to win you lose and when you're supposed to win you don't win it.
1: does sc so, have does sc have the advantage because they're coming in with a different head coach this game
4: well, yes and no. I mean, you know, I mean, if he's putting some new wrinkles into what he wants to put, and he sees some certain players can do, I'm sure he's he's, he's doing that. I, he might have some surprises with Stanford, but you know, Stanford. I mean, you know, they're solid. I mean, they're a solid team. They don't have anything to really jumps up at other than McCaffrey, but they'll just grind you to death and they'll beat you. To, you know, and those big tight ends that got there. If you don't contain those guys, you can you can have a long day. Yeah. And if McCaffrey gets loose. You really could have a long day. So you, so basically, you have to contain him and contain him big tight end. You got to take one of them away from him. But if their plan gets out of defense, that could be a tough day. And you know, if that C is, is on is on is on all cylinders, they could be they could be a monster too. But some sometime this year with that whatever whatever the reasons are, you don't know what team is showing up. You know, you expect them to put up forty points and. The other team might put up 35. They might put up 14. Yeah. You know, it might be a slugfest at the end in the fourth quarter. So uh, it, 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 it's not that you know they're they're awful on the team. It's just that the parity of the Pac-12 the pack has been tough. And then also, too. The controversy would start leaving the team and being removed that's that was very disruptive too. So you know Clay had Clay Hill had to take over. And maintain that, and maintain the level of focus with the team. And I think he's trying to, you know, establish himself as uh, and put a stamp on the team at the end of the year. And if he does well, I think that uh, they might have turned the corner. But if not, he's going to have to battle next year to get him straight.
1: Let's switch gears real quick. Let's, let's step over to NFL for a few minutes. Uh, whew. A lot of injuries, man. Uh, you, had, uh, you had Romo go back down. You had McCown uh, go back down. Uh, uh, a lot of big-name players are, are getting uh, – you know, we had uh, Roethlisberger been hurt part of the year. Uh, a lot of big-name players have gotten rocked this year. Gronkowski got, 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 you had to go out to the last game. What do you, is, are, this, are these rule changes uh, that are causing this, or is this, this guys coming back too soon – uh, what do you think is causing uh, all these re- repetitive injuries, uh, especially? And you know, you got uh, Planner, I can't pronounce it, uh, by Manning. Uh, are these guys just getting up in age? Uh, what are the reasons of all these, I- these serious injuries, man?
4: Well, first of all, it's a lot of these. You got age. Look at Tate Manning. I mean, the guy's almost 40 years old. he got foot injuries, he got neck injuries. He has, he has a nose in his hands and his fingers. You know, a lot of people didn't have the velocity in the ball like you used to. Uh, that's one thing. He's also getting up in age. And it, it, it's just—it's just a physical game, and uh, it's just—that's it, just a—it goes and it goes in, in phases. And these—and and basically, uh, these guys getting hurt. And you got to remember, this guy's hurt every week. It's yeah, just, the, the marquee names that, get hurt. Tony Romo, you know, Peyton Dandy,
1: Stafford Didn't like Stafford get
4: Boston. hurt too? Uh, excuse me?
1: Didn't uh, Matt Stafford, isn't he out for a while? Uh,
4: there's just... A of, well, Matt, you got... You got Des Bryant, you got... You got, you got, Brian, you got said, those are those freak things, but you got to remember... Uh, you have to remember, the football, like I said, is a very physical sport. I mean, I'm surprised more marquee guys are not out. You know, so... Uh, I i'm just saying it, it, it I think it's telling the year after turf concussions and just the fatigue of the long twenty game season in the National football league and I believe also too that uh, uh I would abolish the third Thursday night games I think that's hurting i think that's hurting uh the league from my perspective from a physical standpoint and need those guys need those extra two days that, that that those Thursday night games. I think where's the team out? Well,
1: what am, am I gonna do on Thursday night? Watch a repeat? Come on.
4: <laughs> no. no. It, it, should, it, should be, it should be Sunday games and Monday games and that's it. No Thursday night games. None of that. In that stuff. You know, I just think it throws the players off. I could be wrong. And you know, I've, I've heard pick I've heard that some players don't like it. You know, they they prefer having the, the weekend. And so when you play that Thursday game, it sort of throws you off a little bit. You got to get back and insane. And so, you know, all of, you got to think about the injury factor, the, the travel factor, the whole thing, you know. I mean, it, it affects certain players. Some players, it doesn't. yeah Like, I mean, I knew when I was playing, some guys had a problem flying across country and playing in another time zone. They had a tough time adjusting like that sometimes. I, that's
1: you know that's that's a, that's an interesting question. I, that's one of the ones I, that I, I I wonder about. Uh, you know, the 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 Monday night game comes on the same time every every week. But if you got if you got an East Coast game, you're playing kind of late at night, man. You're you're kicking off at uh, nine nine o'clock at night or so something along those lines.
4: Man, it's seven o'clock in in the West Coast it's ten o'clock in the. Yeah, it gets over nine o'clock. It's twelve one o'clock in the. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, and then what? The, and then what the league is trying to do? What the league is trying to do is that you can't put the game on at three o'clock because everybody's still working. <laughs> if, if you have a game going east, of, if you got a game going on the East Coast at three o'clock, yeah, it's twelve o'clock on the West Coast. Everybody's at work. Boston's looking at a Monday night football game at twelve o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> so so, so they're they just trying to find the the, the time, like you know. If it's, the game is five. The game, you know, is eight o'clock in the east. If the game is five, it's you know, five o'clock on the west. So that's what they're trying to do. But so if they can't start the game at seven, it's already ten in the evening. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, so they're trying to find that middle, you know, that middle ground.
1: But if you play, if you play a Sunday, if you play a Sunday game, uh, you know, just a one o'clock game or whatever, and then uh, and then Thursday you're playing a game on the East Coast, where you're starting, like you said, at uh, basically 8 or 9 o'clock, it's got to throw your... just your... just you know, your, your, when you go to work, whatever job you have, you work a certain shift, you know, you, you kind of fall into your, your rhythm, you know, and uh, I think that when you start a game that, that late on the East Coast and you're used to playing, uh, especially if you're a West Coast team, and most of your games are on the West Coast or the central part of the, the country, uh, you know, on Sundays and... Regardless, you're kind of used to those time zones, but those nighttime games have to throw you off.
4: Absolutely. I mean, you know, like I said, some guys some guys would affect, some guys who doesn't. But you know, if, if if it's affecting your team, and some guys don't like playing like that, they'll kill you off. That's what I believe. I could be wrong, sweetie. You. You're smoking something. I don't believe that because I've heard enough people talk about you know Monday night, Thursday nights with the time zone, the time difference. East Coast versus West Coast. I mean some guys perform on the East, some guys perform on the west, and it doesn't fade, but then you got the weather factor. Some guys perform better in cold weather, some guys don't. You know, I mean but the bottom line is you got a guy coming at you in thirty degrees, you're gonna you go you go prepare yourself to get hit or whatever. But uh yeah, you hear know, all kind of distinct uh things from ball former former players and players, and even coaches. They'll tell you that too.
1: Last question, Ad, and, and and it also goes to to, to performance and conditions and stuff. Uh, altitude. You know, when you guys go go to Denver, uh, how long does it take for them to adjust and, and get used? I mean, did the teams did teams come in a few days early, or are they? I mean, it, it's got it's got to take a toll on, on, a, on a visiting team.
4: Well, I know, man. You're up in that sand I mean, Mile high. I mean, that is that that is a factor. You got to be in great shape. I mean, you see these the oxygen take on the sideline. Uh, you know, know, that's a tough thing. And and, and I think it varies during the the course of the season, what part of the year is it's deep fall or early summer or early, you know, I mean, like September. I think the air is probably thinner than up there. I I don't know, you know. I've never played in Denver, so uh, I just heard just the the different things about certain guys in Ohio. You know, the, the inner the air is so thin, stuff, so, and and you know, the call Rockies when you hit a home, we hit a home run of that ball, just gets out of
1: there. Yeah, I always, so, like, I always wonder about, you know, I don't know <clears throat> basketball and, and and baseball and football. I mean, how I know a lot of these guys, you know, they, a lot of these teams, they just show up the day before or something. Like that. But you know, you take other sports. You know, I, I know cyclists, and I know uh, runners and stuff like that. Those guys usually get up there four or five days earlier to kind of get their body to adjust to them. Kind of, some of that stuff, and uh, I kind of wonder what's happening with football teams. Uh, I mean, obviously visitors win there, so it's it's not a, it's not a, it's not a real big problem. But I, I gotta imagine that you gotta come in a few days early and kind of get acclimated.
4: Well, I really don't know what a football team does when in terms of the playoffs. I think they might have come in here maybe a little earlier.
2: Yeah.
4: But uh, I heard all kind of things about like the sand uh, air and stuff like that. I remember when down in Tampa Bay with all the heat, you know, down and down there, it was so hot. Some of the players, uh, uh, some, some of the teams had problems with it, but that probably gave 10 minutes heads because of the humidity in the middle of the state of Florida. So, uh, but I mean, you know, I believe you've, heard, you've already, already heard the, the stories about the thin air and Malheim and stuff like that.
2: Yeah.
1: AD, as always, man, it's a pleasure to chat with you and, and talk to you about what's happening in, in, uh, in the world of sports. And uh, look forward to doing it again real soon, brother.
4: All right, tell them to go read that book, Absolutely. Lulu.com, Kickoff yeah.
1: Concussion. Kickoff Concussion, How the Notre Dame Killer Recovered His Brain. You can check it out uh, at Lulu.com, also on Amazon. Or you can go to the front page of Swoops World and uh, click on it there to take you there to uh, Lulu to go, go ahead and purchase it. So uh, make sure you get that. And uh, as always, thank you, A.D. Thank you. I want to thank you for tuning in and uh, listening to us here on Swoops World, sponsored by... HealthyNewDay.com. And uh, until we see you again, dream as if you'll live forever. Live as if you'll die today. Good night, all.
0: The views and opinions expressed by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Talk Story Radio, its affiliates, or
3: sponsors.